nobody there It seems I'm all alone again Does anybody care? This planet's empty I see no signs of life Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive There are no people in the future There are no people There are no people in the future No people at all There are no people in the future Where did all my people go? Hey everybody, 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 welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Monday, May 1st, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop Live. Happy to International Workers' Day, everybody. Yes, indeed. Yes, it is good to be with you on May Day. It's good to kind of be having this conversation, I guess, on a night of struggle. And uh, let's get to it. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards or from across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup. We break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. You can help out the show right now by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so we know every time that we go live that helps other people find the show. And listen, if you're one of our podcast listeners, give us that five-star review, leave us a little comment on there, let other folks know why you listen to the show. That helps get the word out, that helps spread, it helps other people find the show. And for more PA Progressive Talk, tune in the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get his podcasts. Head on over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you haven't already. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by The Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check them out at the thebuckscountybeacon.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcast, you can find it. Got a great show coming up uh, this week. Got to listen to it. It's going to be a real good one. I think you're going to like it. There. Hey, and attention all you gamers out there. The Game Inn, that's with two N's. The Game Inn is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts where they get A's on the report card. You can't beat it. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at the Game Inn with two N's. Got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. Again, two N's at Song of Day Man on Twitter. 
And well, is this not kind of right in line with what we're going to be talking about tonight? Don't let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and their oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted PAC. Invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Also got an active chat tonight. Yes, I was I was suspecting. <laughs> I got some great stuff coming up on OptiCoop Live in the coming weeks. Next week, Monday, May 8th at 7 p.m., I welcome Mark Engler to the show. Mark is a Philly-based writer and author of this little ditty right here. This is an uprising. How Nonviolent Revolt is Shaping the 21st Century. And he's also a member of the editorial board of Dissent. And we're going to be talking about his latest article, Can Movements Keep Politicians from Inevitably Selling Out? That appears in the most recent recent issue of Dissent and is also republished in The Forge and on Waging Nonviolence website. And then on May 15th, I welcome Christina Marusic to talk about her brand new book, this one right here. This is an awesome book. Got to check this out. This book is called A New War on Cancer, The Unlikely Heroes Revolutionizing Prevention. Christina is an award-winning Pittsburgh-based journalist who covers environmental health and justice for Environmental Health News. You remember, we may remember her uh, when we had her on the show back in 2021, talking about her investigative series, Fractured, about the impact of fracking on people in Southwest PA communities, particularly on the ways that chemicals get into people's bodies. And uh, this book right here, New War on Cancer, is uh, the extension of exactly this, talking about what we do. Fantastic stuff. Well, on tonight's show, we'll be digging into the Penbridge School Board's decision last week to hire the far-right Vermilion Education to rewrite the district's social studies curriculum. The contract to hire Vermilion was posted onto the agenda for the school board only a mere 24 hours before the meeting, and at least four members of that board claimed they had no idea it was coming. Taken by surprise, whoops. Well, tonight we'll get into the school board meeting, Vermillion's background, and increasing moves by Penridge to turn the school district into a Christian nationalist haven. Here we go. Vermillion Education is a four-month-old company founded by former Hillsdale College teacher Jordan Adams. Adams is a graduate of the private conservative Christian Hillsdale College and served as the associate director for instructional resources in the Barney Charter, Charter School Initiative at Hillsdale College. Barney Charter Initiative seeks to establish a national network of charter schools using Hillsdale's K-12 curriculum. And that's who they hired. Ooh, boy. Shall we get into it? Shall we get into it? I think we shall. So, uh, listen, everybody, I want to go through some of the comments right now. Yes, uh, Darren chimes in. I'm so glad that my tax dollars are going to a $125 an hour grifter consultant conducting, quote, woke audits. I kid you not, that's exactly what Jordan Adams did down in Florida. Matter of fact, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, but he was hired uh, as part of uh, DeSantis' crew down there um, to go through and comb through the curriculum looking for, I don't know, wait, waiting for their woke alarms to go off, I guess. Um, that's what he did there. Now, Jenny also says, uh, how does a school board in a small town in Perkasy, PA, even find out about a four-month-old company in Michigan? Exactly, Jenny. How do we even do this, Right. And Janet says, meanwhile, Moms for Liberty Bucks chapter is meeting tonight in the Green Parrot. Moms for Liberty national leader uh, out of Florida is implicated in the Vermilion Hillsdale push for school boards. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, so we, I mean, as you can see, uh, this community is plugged in, folks. Um, maybe I will start actually where I was going to close tonight, but um, just to kind of build off that point, um, just to kind of, oh God, where did I do with that thing? Um, just to build off that point, because uh, there are very close connections to uh, between Vermilion, between Hillsdale College and Moms for Liberty, right? This is something that, uh, you know, people have been tracking quite a bit. Um, and uh, it, it shouldn't come as too much a surprise since these are some of the, where the major money is right now. Now, of course, in, in Bucks County, we've got our own, uh, we've got our own little, I don't know, mini wannabe emperor in uh, uh, <clears throat> um, Paul Martino uh, and some other folks, you know, I want to kind of just make it, uh, make it a problem that Paul has, uh, you know, I mean, Paul's, you know, maybe someday he'll get help for that condition, but whatever. We also got Jeffrey Yass and we also got, so, you know, a bunch of other folks who are, uh, you know, uh, seeking to impose their personal will uh, upon everybody else, right? Um, so they talk about parents' rights, but they just basically want their personal rights as parents to impose their view of parenting and what is appropriate on all the rest of us. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here, right? Um, so basically what I was going to say, um, like I said, I was going to, I was going to do this towards the end, but uh, let me go ahead and, and talk about this now. So this is really important because um, as we know, we have uh, members of the Penridge School Board that are connected to Moms for Liberty. Um, this is also true over in Central Bucks. This is true in a lot of Bucks County schools, um, and it shouldn't come as any surprise, right? Well, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm hoping that everybody knows about this. If you haven't already, well, here it is. Uh, this is from the Philadelphia Inquirer, published just a couple days ago. Um, so Moms for Maddie Hanna reporting, uh, Moms for Liberty, the controversial parent group whose members have confronted school boards and spearheaded book challenges and fights against diversity education, has chosen Philadelphia as the host city for its national summit this summer. The summit, planned for June 29th through July 2nd at the Philadelphia Marriott downtown, is the second for the group, which held last year's event in Tampa, Florida. Philadelphia was, na was a, quote, natural choice, uh, co-founder Tina Descovich said in an interview. Its history provides a thematic background for the group's focus on preserving Americans' values. Right? Now, this is the key part. This is why, right? The location also caters to Moms for Liberty's membership, was as a significant local presence. After Florida, where Moms for Liberty was founded in 2021, Descovich said Pennsylvania has the second most members. Of the group's 115,000 members and 275 chapters nationally, 11,450 are in Pennsylvania, spread across 27 chapters, according to a spokesperson. All right, so again, we see this gearing up, right? This is a perfect example of what Moms for Liberty is uh, gearing up to do. We also know, as we've reported on this show, um, kind of in the kind of in the not so uh, not so long ago past, that Moms for Liberty um, has been fundraising like banshees. Uh, I shouldn't give banshees a bad name here, but um, they have been fundraising quite a bit. Um, the big dollars are starting to flow to the organization, and that's making its way down to school board candidates. Um, you know, we've been trying to, we've been, you know, doing our little, you know, whatever we can in our little neck of the woods to amplify those voices who have been trying to get us to pay attention to this for a while, right? Um, that the Republican Party, right? I mean, let's let's be clear. The Republican Party, um, its leadership, especially in Bucks County, but in many places across the country, if not, you know, wholesale, right, <laughs> has been... Um, 
basically taken over by this kind of, say, religious right, Christian nationalist, far right, you know, white supremacist, however you want to talk about it, right? But the far right of the party is dictating the terms of um, what the party's agenda is. Now, there may be individual Republicans who will, will talk to you off the record or personally and say, I don't really agree with this, but, but ultimately they're falling in line because they're afraid of the base, right? They're afraid of the base, so they're going, they're voting with them and everything. So it doesn't really matter what's in their hearts, right? It doesn't even matter, you know, if they you know, want to buy you a drink afterwards and talk about your kids, right? It, it, they are still going along and voting to destroy your kids' education and destroy this country, right? So whatever, I mean, you know, potato, potato, if you ask me, um, do they really believe it in their heart? Does it matter, right? Does, what are they doing, right? That's what matters to us right now. And who are they beholden to? And it's increasingly this, folks. So that's why like, people like Paul Martino, Jeffrey Yass um, are kind of, you know, are so important is because it shows you where well, the money that is driving the organizations that is driving um, this agenda, right? And there is no corollary to that, right? On the, like to the rest of the political spectrum, like forget the left, right? I'm just talking about the rest of the political spectrum does not have that kind of ideological commitment and focused money in the way that these people do. You know, that's the one thing that, you know, what has happened in the Republican Party, what has happened around these issues of, of schooling and what's happening in schooling for the, you know, in our school boards, what it's done to, what's starting to do our door curriculums and everything like this. You know, these people are, are doing this because they have faith that this is true, right? I mean, this is like part of their faith, their pure belief. And when people are kind of like cross that border between, you know, believing in something or trying to do the best you can and to work to make do the best for our kids to basically saying I have an ideological religious commitment to something and I have faith that this is just true and I don't need to listen to you right you're not dissuading those people from their agendas right and so I just want to give you this this one other um, kind of example I thought I had it right here maybe we will have to do this later because I've got so many pieces of paper around me right now that uh, Oh, here we go. So this is in regards to Moms for Liberty, right? They are actively seeking um, candidates for school board and other offices um, to uh, get them on the ballot. Um, so there, right here is this little form. It's the Bucks County PA candidate questionnaire from Moms for Liberty, right? And they're asking people like, your name as it will appear on the ballot, position you are seeking, like they're looking for endorsements, right? And they're asking them these questions, yes or no, please select your option. Do you believe parents have the fundamental right to direct the upbringing, education, and care for their children? Do you believe all reasonable accommodations should be made to include parent participation in school board meetings, including robust public comment section? Let's be clear, these things have already existed, right? Let's be clear. Do you believe that a parent should have the right to determine if they mask their child in school? Now we start to get a little bit thick. We want to make sure, do we want to pit groups against the government, pit groups against public safety? Do we want to basically say that your individual right as a parent, you can put other students and other kids in jeopardy, other people in jeopardy because of your personal preferences? That's where we see we cross these lines. Do you believe a parent should have the right to determine, okay, I said that one. Do you believe that parents, guardians have the right to submit a written letter to a school district based upon a religious or strong moral ethical conviction opposing immunizations to be exempted from the vaccine schedule that also includes COVID-19 or any other related MNRA experimental vaccine in the future? Right, so they want to make you, you're on board. Are you on board with the anti-vaxxers? Do you support a parent's right to opt their child out of sex education? Right, which by the way, 
already exists, right? If you have that thing, but let's just see. Do you support a parent's right to homeschool? Now we're starting to get away, get toward the destruction of public education. Do you believe in students should read and study the Declaration of Independence and Constitution before graduating, right? Want to make sure that you get it restricted. Because of course, there's a lot of people that would say, oh yeah, they should study that. But what these folks mean by that is a little bit different than what normal people believe. Have you read the Constitution of the United States this past year? Not in your life, but this past year. You got to keep current because that document's constantly changing. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. No, no. It's written in stone like the tablets, the 10 tablets, right? The 10, 10 commandments, right? <laughs> All right. So have you read sections of your state constitution, county charter, and or local statutes that govern your position? I want to know that. They want two things with that, right? They want to know basically, yes, they're... They're couching this in terms of, right, one, like they're saying qualifications, right? Have you done what you need to do in order to qualify? But they're also testing how well people know how to play the game, All right? This is the kind of thing that Moms for Liberty and a series of other organizations have been doing is they're training right-wing activists, right, in the, the, the nitty-gritties of government, right? And so I don't want to give Gritty a bad name now. Nitty-gritty, sorry, that's bad. Um, so they're actually kind of draw their attention there. So they're trying to get people to pay attention to what goes on and answer questions about that. Do you believe that the legitimate role of government is limited and should be confined to what is clearly defined in the Constitution? Here we go. That means, uh, you know, none of this LGBTQ stuff, no, none of these telephones, right? No more of this, like, computer stuff, you know, that wasn't in the Constitution, right? Clearly... HBO was not in the Constitution. That should definitely be gotten rid of. Electricity, I don't remember that being in the Constitution. Cars, definitely not in the Constitution. Busing, get rid of that. Got to get rid of buses. There was definitely no buses in the Constitution, right? I'm obviously being absurd here, right? Because that's not what they mean, right? All these things have safety regulations. All these things have some aspect where we've decided to kind of you know, make sure that these things are safe or they're kind of well-managed or it's not ripe with corruption, right? And just because they're not listed specifically in the Constitution doesn't mean they don't exist or that we don't kind of just deal with them now. The interstate highway system, for example, not in the Constitution. Not in the Constitution. Do you support student-led prayer in school? Do you support the recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance each school day? Do you support school choice measures? Do you support the teaching of training of critical race theory? Right, you get the idea. Do you believe public school libraries should be curated to ensure students are not exposed to sexually explicit age or inappropriate content? Do you believe parents should have a voice in curating public school libraries? Do you support teaching minors that they can change their gender? Right, it goes on and on and on and on here, right? So do you, and here, I have you been endorsed or sought the endorsement of the teachers union? That's an automatic no to their endorsement, right? So they want to cut that strong answer or cut that, uh, cut that strong line between the teachers and their union, right? So anyways, that's a little brief. That's why I was going to end tonight, but we started with that in part because we had um, what's on here. Hot mess, Jess. Hey, welcome. Um, yep, Jenny Stevens said, Jordan Adams emailed Bridget Ziegler, uh, Ziegler, I'm sorry, out of the blue, but I'm sure it was um, peddled to her prior to that. Jenny Stevens, of course, was the head of the uh, Sarasota School Board, also kind of uh, one of the key fact, uh, key figures in Moms for Liberty, right? <clears throat> so we've got all this kind of stuff going on. But let's go, let's go back a little bit now. <clears throat> so that's part of the, 
folks that are behind this, but let's go right to what happened in the Penridge School Board meeting, right? So the Penridge School Board, you know, look, Penridge does not have the same kind of visibility as the Central Bucks, um, Central Bucks School District, right? Like we're literally like 10 miles away from each other, right? Um, but Central Bucks, it's the third largest school district in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, right? It has had a, you know, a, it was considered kind of like, you know, man, this is the place I would love to teach, right? And it was recognized as a really good school district, really strong school district. And of course, it's in, it's, you know, Doylestown, the county seat is around it. Doylestown and the surrounding area, the drawn students for Central Bucks has a long history of kind of like art and kind of ties with New York City and all this other kinds of stuff, right? And so there's this status thing that goes with um, Central Bucks um, that Penridge, like here in the Penridge School District, we don't have, right? But I can tell you this, is that when I moved here, um, I moved here in 2008, um, one of the things you do, right? We were just about to have our first kid, right? We're moving to the, we're moving to the area. And of course you, you want to have questions about the school district, right? I mean, that's just one of the things that you do. And, you know, I mean, everyone told me, you know, I work at Kutztown University, right? Um, Kutztown University trains a lot of the teachers that end up teaching kind of in this, in this region. And so I asked them, what do they think about Penridge? And one after the other said, oh, that's a really good school. It's a really good school. They got some great programs. They do this really cool stuff. Um, you know, our students have had great experiences there right down the line. So I'm like, excellent. This is a great place to, this is a great place to be. <clears throat> There's a lot of other reasons of being there. We didn't choose here just because of the, the school district, but that was just kind of one of the conversations you had. And we kept on hearing that from people. Right? So, <clears throat> so Penridge doesn't have that same kind of attention. So what we're going through right now, right? This kind of, you know, um, extremist attacks on our school boards, right? Um, Penridge gets some reporting, Right. <clears throat> but it doesn't get the same kind of in-depth reporting that some like Central Bucks gets. Right. So when you had uh, the school board wars, that two part New York Times, uh, New York Times podcast that was part of their kind of the daily podcast. Right. It's one of the, the most listened to podcasts in the, in, the, in the country, if not the world. So New York Times daily podcast. <clears throat> um, they did that two-parter on the school board wars focusing on Central Bucks. And of course you had Paul Martino was there, who's also make, you know, this guy money coming out of his whatever, um, who is having a direct influence on that, who, who is part of that school board, has been on the school board. So it makes a good story for a place like the New York Times and some other folks, right? But Penridge has had, you know, arguably even a longer uh, history with this kind of conservative extremism on our school board. Right. Um, I remember like early on hearing about Joan Cullen. Right. Joan Cullen was the former director of the school board. Um, you know, she's most famous now for um, having attended the uh, January 6th um, insurrection in uh, Washington, D.C. Although she says she never kind of like broke any laws, didn't go in the building and all that kind of stuff. She's, you know, taking pictures proudly outside of it, still very proud of her attendance in that, um, still believes that, you know, the country, the vote was stolen and all the, all the kinds of things that go along with election denial. I first learned about her, right? Or first, I shouldn't say first learned about her, but when I really got a sense of what, where her politics lied was after the kind of March for Our Lives. You remember the kind of um, the Parkland school shootings in Florida? Right? There were students who walked out of the high school, right, um, calling for, um, you know, gun reform, basically saying that enough is enough, right? Enough of this, like you people, you adults, right, are clearly like either unwilling or unable or incompetent 
and able to kind of solving this problem. So we, even though we can't vote as high school students, most of us can't vote, we are gonna have to start taking the matters in our own hands. So they protested, they walked out of school, they went on strike, they did great stuff on social media. And then there were these kind of corresponding events that were taking place and walkouts that were happening at school districts across the country. And one happened in Penridge High School, right? <clears throat> I wanna say there's 227 kids that walked out. I, I don't, somebody else probably here knows better than I do um, if that's in chat, if that's the right number. But there was quite a few students that walked out of school, right, as part of Penridge's kind of joining in on that. 225, ah, I was close. Thanks, Kirsten. Uh, long live the Penridge 225. Yes, the Penridge 225. Um, and they walked out of school, right? And Joan Cullen um, went after them on Twitter, right? Basically called them Marxist, called them like, you know, like, I mean, went back and forth calling individual students' names, calling, you know, I didn't want to go into all the specifics of it. It was pretty horrific, right? So here you have the chair, the, the head of the school board going after, I don't know if she was head at the time, but she may have been, um, but going after students directly on social media, right? I was like, holy crap. And so I started following her Twitter account and then you kind of going through there and like, man, everything that was on the far right there, everything that was coming from Newsmax, everything that was coming from, you know, all the kind of extreme right kind of conspiracy theory website, she was just retweeting like, yeah, like, you know, like was just kind of like, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, I'm gonna retweet it all, right? So that's how I first kind of saw what was going on. And that was, you know, like what, 2011, maybe? No, no, not 2011, it's later than that. But that was like, you know, I mean, that was a long time ago. That was well before these current school board wars. This is well before the pandemic, right? So anyways, they've been on this mission for quite some time. And I've been of the mind that, you know, you've got Penridge and Central Bucks are kind of playing off each other in many ways. Um, 2018, thanks you, Kirsten. That's when the, that's when the walkout was. Um, and, and Central Bucks in... Pen, uh, and Penridge have been kind of competing for who's going to be, you know, the craziest when it comes to right-wing extremism. What we saw back in, let's see what it was, um, back in February, early February, um, there was a school board meeting that um, this kind of came out of the blue too as well. I can remember getting um, messaged uh, by some, some listeners <laughs> as this was happening. Um, because unfortunately, this show um, often is in conflict with some of the school board meetings. Um, um, but, well, that's a whole other story, but we'll get into that. Um, and so I was getting messages from, so, oh my God, you're not going to believe what's up on the screen, right? Um, and what they were proposing, uh, what the school board was putting on the agenda was to adopt Hillsdale College's 1776 curriculum as a quote-unquote overlay, like whatever the hell that exactly meant, right, um, to the existing curriculum, right? Now, there were enough parents and enough community members in that meeting that knew about Hillsdale College that when they saw that 1776 curriculum, it kind of like set the alarm bells off, right? <clears throat> This is what uh, Laura Foster said. This is quoted in the Philadelphia Inquirer. They're setting this framework where you're pulling out the reality of our history. This is going to perpetuate this place of white privilege that lives in Upper Bucks County. Bing, 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 100%, right? 
Now, Hillsdale, if you remember this, uh, Hillsdale College, um, well, well, it's the 1776 curriculum. Let's just, I don't want to go into the history of Hillsdale College exactly right this moment. <laughs> but the former President Trump had a commission, the 1776 commission, that was launched after the New York Times kind of released its 1619 project, right? So remember, 1619 was, was kind of this, this really amazing project um, supported by the New York Times that um, came out at the 500th anniversary of the landing of the first slave ship in Jamestown, Virginia, right? And the premise of the 1619 project, of course, was to say, well, wait a minute. We've told this story of America, right, from the signing of the Declaration of Independence, from the signing of the Constitution forward, right, as if that is the, the key moment of the nation, right? question was, well, look, the nation wouldn't be the nation, right, without extensive use of slave labor, right? In, in a sense, the economic backbone of good chunks of what was coming out of this country came from slave labor. So what if we started the story from the landing of that first slave ship and kind of read the historical trajectory of American history from that perspective, right? And I don't know about any of you, um, but I read that and I waited with, uh, with bated breath uh, until the expanded book came out to read more, right? And I learned, you know, I'm, you know, embarrassed to say I'm a college professor and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I learned more than I thought I could learn from that, from that book and even from the New York Times thing, right? Which showed me the gaps in my own education which showed me the kind of the, well, the effect of that project, right? To open up history, right? To ask us to reconsider history and consider it in this kind of really much more complex way, not just a heroic, you know, everything kind of bends towards progress. Everything goes in a positive direction. There's always progress. There's always, everything gets better automatically. It's a much more complex history than that. Yes, Joanne, I agree. 1619 Project is a uh, podcast. I'm sorry, is excellent too as well. 100%. That's fantastic. Um, Kirsten also says, totally worth watching the 1619 Project um, show. It's a six one-hour episodes on Hulu, by the way. Um, absolutely. So what Trump did after the 1619 Project was launched, basically started the 1776 Commission, right? Basically to try to kind of like re-cement like the foundational stake at July 4th, 1776, right? That no, we're going to go and we're going to reinforce this. We're going to put girders on it. We're going to put flying buttresses on this thing to make sure that we cement and make immovable July 4th, 1776 is the origin story of the, the United States of America, Right. And that was what they did. And so, you know, matter of fact, in the links in tonight's show notes, um, you're going to find, you know what, um, if I can find it now, I'll put it in the show notes. There is a, well, just go to the links in tonight's show notes. Um, there is a link in tonight's show notes that is basically to, let me find it. It is, now this is uh, the White House Conference on American History. It was led by Hillsdale College President, uh, Dr. Larry Arn. 
uh, and uh, Jordan Adams is actually Jordan Adams, who's the one who was just hired by Penridge. Uh, Jordan Adams is the final speaker in there. So I wanted to kind of like find out as much as I could about this guy, right? Um, so that's something that aired on C-SPAN that was kind of sponsored by the White House, right, to come on and talk about this history. So that panel, right, all white guys, except for one woman who's a student, I believe, right, telling us what we should know about history and how history should be told, right? So let's talk about what some real historians have said, right? Some historians that kind of see history not as something as the, the whitewashed history, the story that we want to tell, but the story of history as it was, right? So this is from the Philadelphia Inquirer's article about this. Again, we're still talking about February 11th here, right, 2023. So this is from James Grossman, right? So, quote, they're trying to inculcate a certain notion of what it means to be an American, said James Grossman, executive director of the American Historical Association. He pointed, for instance, to the curriculum's treatment of progressives and the Franklin Della Roosevelt's New Deal with, quote, very little on what the programs actually bring to people other than a sense of entitlement and dependence on the state, unquote, and connections it draws between the founding fathers and modern conservative policies like securing borders. Matter of fact, I've got this nice little piece here from uh, a section on early America. How about this? They want to say, you want to make sure, you want to reinforce for students. This was just blew my mind. You want to reinforce for students. Let me find this one part. I love this part. Okay, that's the part on here. Christianity, not only did they do that, the British, oh, it's probably in this other part. Anyways, it's a part that says, I'll come back and I'll read you the thing when I, I just want to keep you waiting here. Um, but that says, emphasize, make sure you emphasize how almost everyone had a gun. <laughs> Can you believe this? Everybody had a gun. Right. That's got to be in the curriculum. That's the curriculum they want. Right. It's probably in this one. I, I it's making me, it's going to kill me. if I don't find this right away. Uh, I'll get to it. Anyways. Um, so, so here it is. Quote, it's a tell in terms of what they're trying to do. Unquote. Grossman said in an interview calling the curriculum, quote, a bunch of nonsense. Right. This is the executive director of the American Historical Association. Right. Not just some kind of rando picked off the street, not some kind of like, you know, whatever, died in the wool kind of Soviet communist. <laughs> no, it's a freaking head of the historic, American Historical Association. Now, Sean Willens, a history professor at Princeton University, who also has criticized the 1619 Project, was blunt in his criticism of the Hillsdale curriculum. Quote, the Hillsdale 1776 curriculum fundamentally distorts modern American history into a crusade of righteous conservative patriots against heretical big government liberals, unquote, said Willens. Quote, it has no place in any school system that values education over indoctrination. There you go. Right. So that was back then. Right. That was back in February kind of 11th. Right. And. There was there had been discussion about this. Um, there was you know some concern about um, you know when is this going to come up for a vote, and it kind of seemed to fade a little bit. And then all of a sudden, 
this past week, the school board decided, right, out of the blue, that it was going to be hiring a consultant from this place called Vermilion, Vermilion Education, right, to come and help them to advise them and to review and to revise the social studies curriculum, right? Now, why now is that such a big deal? Well, it's only a big deal if you give a crap about democracy and process and public scrutiny. You know, why? Well, because it was put on at the last minute. See, in order to get an item on the agenda, right, the bylaws said it has to be on there at least 24 hours ahead of time, right? So the idea is that because you are a public school, right, and there's a public right to know, and we have certain kinds of sunshine laws here in, in Pennsylvania. They're not the best, but they're there, right? And so anything like this is the kind of thing that you want the public to be able to weigh in on. But they put it on 24 hours ahead of time, right? And it came as a surprise, right? Now, Jenny Stevens, right, over the Bucks County Beacon was on this, right? Jenny, you know, I'm, she got the story early, she had an article out there early that was getting passed around. There were some parents, and look, we've got some amazing parents and community members in here who watch the school district like a hawk because they know that they play dirty. And so they saw this stuff, they saw this stuff come up. And they said, wait, 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 what is this? And they started doing their research. Jenny Stevens did her research and published an article on the background of this Vermilion education. You know, who the hell are they? Well, and it turns out that Vermilion education is about four months old, right? So they're bringing on this organization, company, it's a company, it's a for-profit company. They're bringing on this company to consult them, right? On revising their curriculum, social studies curriculum in particular. So that's bad enough. Then we find out at the meeting that at least four of those board members, at least so they claim, at least four of those board members had no idea this was going to be put on the agenda. They found out when those parents who watched so carefully found out. And they were pissed. Now, let me be clear. Let me set the stage for those of you who aren't here in the Penridge School District, who are not kind of in even Pennsylvania, right? Our school board in Penridge, yes, I say our because I have two kids in this district. That school board are all Republicans, right? So this is not a matter of the Democrats say this. And have, no, no, no. So it's not like four Democrats were left out of the discussion. In the No, no, no. There were the extremists and the not-so-extremists. Right. The irony here, right, is that what the disagreement was over, right, was not so much the content of this right right wing curriculum. The content was over the process. Right. Because one of the people that objected to this contract voted no against the contract was the very person I talked about a few minutes ago, Joan Cullen. Joan Cullen, the former chair of the, the Penridge School Board, was pissed. She was not one of the people that was included, at least as she says. 
But she was careful to let everybody know she doesn't object to the 1776 curriculum. As a matter of fact, she reminded everybody at that school board meeting that she is the one that first introduced the possibility of bringing in the 1776 curriculum as an overlay. Okay? But Joan Cullen is smart enough to know a couple things. One is that there is definitely going to be blowback to this when you violate transparency laws or trans transparency policies and potentially some laws here. Why? Well, number one, you are bringing up an agenda item at the last minute when nobody has had a chance to even see it or review it in any kind of timely fashion, and it is going to cost the district money, right? As Darren said, right, $125 an hour with no end in sight. $125, $125 an hour to come in and review the curriculum, help re rewrite them, to rewrite the cur curriculum and so on, right? So Joan Cullen mentioned this even at one point, which says, you know, this leaves us up for potential, yes, exactly, Jenny, plus expenses, right? So, because, you know, this dude's in Michigan, right? <laughs> I mean, I know he's been spending a lot of time, uh, he's been, in, uh, he's been, uh, uh, spent a lot of time down in Florida lately, right? But he's up in Michigan, right? So they want him to come here, right? So travel expenses, housing expenses, you know, probably meals, I'm sure fine dining and wine at their favorite places. I'm sure that's all gonna be included, right? So when you have an expenditure, you know, let's remember it's a public school, this is taxpayer money. This is part my money, your money, right? For those of you in the district, right? So they're spending our money on this, right? With no notice ahead of time. And there's supposed to be like time to consider this and time for public comment. Instead, 24 hours ahead of time, push to get this thing through. And not only did they push it to get things through, they did so over half of their other Republican board. Right? So I want to do something I don't normally do on, 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 on Out to Coop Live, right? I wanted to play you a couple sound clips, okay? And just to kind of talk you through so you get a sense of what goes on, especially people who are not at the board and didn't hear all this stuff, just to kind of slow it down to find out what we found out um, kind of in this board. Just for you also for your information, I started putting up a playlist. Um, you know what? I'm going to drop the link to this playlist um, kind of in the show notes right now. So this is the link to the playlist. Um, with a, it's kind of like a snapshot of some of the things that uh, went on at the board uh, last night, some of the public comment and some key moments in, um, in the board. It's not the entire board meeting. If you want the entire board meeting, you can go search out the Penridge board meeting, right? My goal here is to kind of, you know, um, tell a little bit of a story about what happened um, at that meeting. So, so the first thing I want to kind of uh, do here is, okay. I want to play, um, if you can't, if this doesn't come through in the sound, please let me know. It's looking, I've tested this ahead of time just to try to make sure that it worked. It looked like all was coming through, but if you're having trouble hearing it, it's too loud or too soft, um, please let me know uh, kind of in the show notes. Uh, let's see, let me just go back and check a little of the comments here. The contract was presented under the finance committee portion of the agenda last Wednesday, except the finance committee has posted no minutes for all of 2023. That's correct, Jenny. Um, and of course, you know that because you reported on it, <laughs> right? Um, so, uh, and that's, it. I mean, again, Jenny broke this story, uh, was first out of the, you know, kind of out of the gates. Uh, Joanna says, would this Vermilion curriculum be used for grade level history or honors history? Because it would, because um, it would be used as AP history class, what students, what students would be affected? I, all students, they're talking about K through 12 curriculum. 
right? So this curriculum for the consulting, what they're looking for is to redo K through 12 social studies curriculum. Okay, so I want to play a key moment here. Um, this is, uh, I, we'll see if we get through the whole thing. Um, it's about, about two and a half minutes. And um, this is the point where we're coming up to, um, we find out how this thing made it on the agenda and who is responsible. So the key names here are Jordan Blom, um, Blomgren, Megan Bannis Clemens, and Ricky Chaikin, right? They're the three who are clearly the ones who um, shepherd this. As a matter of fact, you're going to hear our Jordan uh, Blomgren's voice come in, and she's going to be one that is essentially going to give up the ghost here, right? She's going to let everybody know, right? Um, or she, now, if this was Joan Cullen, Joan Cullen never would have said this out loud, right? But these are, these are you know, these are the kind of QAnon kind of like adjacent uh, crew on the school board, okay? So this is a little bit of that exchange. I'm disappointed in the process um, and can someone answer the question why we haven't brought it up in a curriculum meeting? I think it's been several months since we. Now that was this is Christine Abatiki. Um, I hope I got her name right. Um, this is uh, Christine Batiki. I think that's how you say her name. This is her um, asking a question. Well, can we get to the part of the curriculum when we said, well, where did this come from? Okay. Now she was one of the members that was voted on kind of this kind of far right platform here. So this is a little interesting that she's not in the know here. Uh, at least she claims not to be. So here you go. We talked about social studies curriculum changes. And is it also, is it accurate that that the client is listed as David Rice School Board President rather than Penridge School District? It's, it's, no, no, it's the client is the Penridge School District in the contract. Oh, I see. Okay. So what about the question with curriculum? So this would typically go on the finance for the contract. So when you say curriculum committee meetings, well, to discuss why this is Jordan Bromley is responding to her. Well, it's to bring it. We, Christine, you and I ran too on having like curriculum re review have come in. So when we originally when we um, reached out to Jordan Adams. And when we started looking at the overlay of Hillsdale and then uh, learning that he was going to be an independent education consultant, then that it, it could go together like as well with like. With, so, I mean, I hear that, but we haven't talked about it anywhere. We've always we've always talked about that. We even ran on that. So I don't know where like this is a contract. So we need to review curriculum. And now also we we've been talked about social studies curriculum in months. It was. Every, well, it's not ready, just like everything with other social studies. Until it's like ready to, to, to roll out, we don't talk about the, all those other things. That never happens. It comes when it's ready to be presented, and then you, you discuss it, and those kind of things. Okay, so you just hear this exchange, right? So in this exchange, you've got Christine Batiki basically saying, yeah, but what about this curriculum, right? Uh, we haven't talked about this in months. And you have Jordan Blomgram says it right there. We reached out to, right? We reached out to Jordan. Right, we reached out to Jordan when we learned he's going to be an independent consultant. Right, because we were already talking about the 1776 curriculum with Hillsdale, so we reached out to him. Right, and Christine Vatikis said, "Wait a minute, what are you talking? We haven't talked about this for here." And what? what this is the really interesting thing. Then this is the what they they shift. Right, Jordan uh, Jordan Blomgren, um, Megan Bannis Clemens, and Ricky Chaikin begin to kind of say, "We've been talking about this. We ran on this." 
we ran on this, right? They're saying because they campaigned on changing the curriculum. That's all the public discussion they needed, right? What these other members of the boards are basically saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a process. We, we talk about this in committee. We're elected to this, and our responsibility is to kind of talk about this and work this out on this committee, on this board, and then present that to the public for discussion before we pass it, right? The idea here, I mean, again, coming from Christine Patiki, right? This is like, well, she's calling for, wait a minute. You're like, we didn't do this, <laughs> right? And Jordan said, well, well, we reached out to, we reached out to Jordan. We reached out to him, right? So here we go. This is a contract to come in and help with some of that, as well as reviewing. When was the discussion, when was the discussion about the- Please be in order. Now, here you go. We have the next person come in. This is Me uh, Megan Bannis Clemens coming in. And what she tries to do is divert the conversation. She basically says, okay, there's a specific question about when did we ever talk about this, right? And, and why are, you know, where did this come from? And then what Megan Bannis Clemens does is she shifts the conversation. To, when did we ever talk about this before when we were talking about diversity? Why is this coming up now? Right? She's basically saying to Christine Batiki, well, which side are you on? Are you defending those people? Right? So consultant last time. There 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 was no discussions. It appeared on the agenda. There was no discussion. Everybody voted on it. There were no conversations about the curriculum consultants that were voted on before. Well, they even if it was bad practice then, it doesn't need to be repeated. Well, no, but it's it's a new curriculum consultant. The idea was to bring in someone to help and support people. You all keep complaining that people are spread too thin. They have to so this was to bring in support and extra help wait, for them to be able to uh and and you all asked for the, Look, the we found out about this 24 hours a day and you want us to vote for it four of us didn't even know about it 24 hours we you don't know it's done this goes again. so there you go now this is a guy right um this is a guy ron wertz you hear him coming at the end here. He would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right? You, you say, you guys all ask for this. You guys, they were spread thin. You guys all ask for it. And he's like, Sorry, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We didn't, we didn't do this. None of us even know about this. We didn't even know about this. We found out 24 hours ahead of time. What do you mean? Now, here's the thing. This shows you how extreme these people are. Right? I got the scent from a listener kind of uh, earlier on today. Right? So this is from September 16th, 2021 from the Penridge area GOP. If you know anything about the Penridge area GOP, they are the kind of, you know, they're the funnel through which all this garbage comes, right? But this is what they said back in 2021. Congratulations, Ron Wirtz, on your endorsement for the special school board election. Ron Wirtz was appointed to the school board after Dr. Sherry Thompson resigned due to a move out of the district. Mr. Wirtz has been on a wonderful asset to the team, and now it's time to make it official. Vote Ron Wirtz for Penridge School Board Director on November 2nd. Yay! And you got Joshua, Joshua Hogan coming in. Yeah, that's right. Ron Wirtz, he's been uh, solid so far in his short time on the board. He's got my vote, right? They were all in on this guy, right? Penridge GOP is all in on this guy. And now he, this guy, right, <laughs> is the voice of reason on the board, right? And he's like, wait a minute. We didn't even know about this stuff, okay? So Megan Bannis Clemens comes in, tries to discipline Christine, uh, uh, Christine Batiki on, on what she's saying about her basic question, where did this come from, right? Jordan Blomgren is basically saying, hey, what do you mean? What do you mean? We ran on this stuff. What do you mean? What do you think we we're not going to do it? We're just going to do it, right? So here you go. Nobody was 
do this in a regular business. You cannot bring somebody in and rewrite all our curriculum. So don't do this routinely either. We don't bring this much of a fuss for any contract at all. All right, that's the end of that clip. Right. So that gives you a little bit of sense. Right. I want to give you just a sense about the way this went down. Now, there's so much more that happened in that in that meeting. Right. And I'm not going to give you clips for every little single thing that happened at the meeting. Um, but I do think it's important to establish some things on the record here. Right. That there were at least three members of the board. Right. There's a there's a piece that comes right after this with Ricky Chaikin, which she she chimes into as well to let that basically lets everybody know that she was in on it. It appears that the chair of the board is also in on it. Right. So. What you essentially have here is a disagreement that who was left on the inside and outside and over how they proceeded on it. But, you know, Joan Cullen, right, comes in there and I look, I believe, I, you know, and again, part of me has trouble keeping these words down, but it is true that she was right about several things. She was right about this as a, as a violation of process. It's this goes, especially since there's a financial consideration that opens up the district to lawsuits that it's not filing Pennsylvania law. Right. And, and I, I believe there will be some as soon as this kind of, you know, as soon as any kind of money is dispersed, I think this is going to happen. Uh, if not before, or there might be a hold that's put on it. We shall see. Right. But this is a big deal. Right. The school board basically, sh basically going ahead and kind of demonstrating that it has, doesn't give a crap about anything. Right. As a matter of fact, a little bit later on, there's a, there's a, a comment. I don't want to, again, I could play clips all night, really because there were some just amazing um, uh, clips from some of the um, uh, the community comment, right? From the public comment section um, here, but I will play you at least a couple of them. But, um, you know, one guy comes forward, right? And basically says, look, we know that you're, you're not gonna listen to us anyways. That, you know, most of you are up there on your phones looking down, not even paying attention. You're just waiting for this public comment error to get over so you can do whatever the heck you're gonna do. All right, this guy is Tom Murtha was saying this. Right. And he's like, and like, we know what you're going to do, but you know, it's kind of like on the record, come on, we deserve, but this is insulting to everybody. It's insulting. You know, and he says to my, he says, I have no direct stake in this anymore. My daughter graduated. Thank God is what he says. Right. But he's there in part because he recognizes that there's all these people in the audience and all those people in the community, right. All these people, which he has relationships with have kids in these schools that are directly impacted by this. Right. So I'm going to play, play you one more clip here because I'm realizing that I can I can just go on way too long. One more clip here. I want to play you this clip um, is from a teacher, right? Um, she had the, she's a, in the social studies, she's a social studies teacher. And she talks about what this impact has been directly uh, upon um, that school. Now, remember, back in December, I believe, the school board, the first move, right, toward this trajectory of erasing history was to cut the number of social studies classes that were required for graduation, right? And there's all this mishmash back and forth about why they did it. They couldn't really answer that question, right? They said, you know, it, it, here's the joke, right? The joke, and one of the parents said this at the meeting, right? So there, I think it was uh, Megan Bannis Clemens, uh, basically she was making the case that, well, this opens up more time for students to, who are over at the technical school, right? So they can take the classes in the technical school um, because we wanna make sure they can take classes at the technical school. Of course, she is one of the people that's on the board of the technical school, right? Now, let me be clear, Penridge has an awesome technical school, right? I mean, it's part of a, a, a Quakertown, a Penridge and Palisades, right? It's a fantastic program, right? I love the fact that they do this, right? But her claim 
that this was a an either or back and forth between the technical school and the regular public school was just a lie. Right. That comes up later in that meeting back in December. I wish I had thought to pull the, the, the um, uh, um, pull the sound from that. Because what what the, turns out is that they, they comes out that most of the seniors have so much free time in their last year that they're taking early leave or like they don't go. They just go. They go work or they, you know, they don't show up. Right. They talk about this. And in fact, that's why I said, wait, this can't be, this can't be right. So I started asking, but oh yeah, it's true. It's like most seniors they're, they're in school. Luckily if they're in school half day and like, and if they're in school half day, probably most of those times is study halls anyways. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So it's just a lie, right? It's just a lie. Unless they want those students to get out of there. They want to get out early, right. To give them a three-year graduation rate, which is ironically what our uh, chancellor of our higher education system wants to do. But here you go. So you've got all this stuff going on, right? You've got all this stuff that's happening kind of in the background. They're cutting social studies curriculum and so on. And this, you know, um, we could hear uh, Shuttle, I think is her, her last name. Um, she's a teacher here uh, at Padridge in the high school. And this is what she had to say um, in response to hearing they hired Vermillion. And then after this, we'll kind of wind this part about what actually happened at the meeting and talk a little bit about who Vermillion is, right? And what their agenda seems to be and some hopefully some things that we can begin kind of thinking to do about that. Okay, here we go. My name is Angela Shuttle, and I'm a social studies teacher here at Pembroke High School. I am here tonight to express the views and concerns of myself and many of my colleagues in the social studies department regarding the proposed consulting firm being brought in to review the K-12 social studies curriculum. Throughout the school year, we have fought to preserve the social studies department from this board's decision to reduce social studies credit requirements. We spoke many times about the consequences of such a decision. The current school board ensured us that there would be no significant changes to the current curriculum and it would not cost the district any additional money. That's a lie. Okay, this is a really important point, right? Because guess what? The history teacher is referring to history, <laughs> right? And she's got the receipts, right? Because they said this stuff at previous meetings. Right. They had went and talked to teachers. And they told this to teachers. Right. The teachers at the time knew that was a lie, knew that was not going to happen. Right. The matter of fact, they came out in mass for that meeting. Right. To speak about why this was so important not to downsize social studies curriculum. Right. At the time, they thought part of the game was at least how many of them were expressing it is they wanted to limit the study of history because of the agenda of the board. Well, it turns out, no, they got a whole other plan up their sleeve. Right. Because uh, that's when we see the next month, the beginning of the next month, we start hear, uh, hearing about uh, 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 the 1776 curriculum coming in, right? Um, you know, that in February it shows up at the board, right? All this kind of stuff, right? But what she says is really important. This is why we need more teachers like her to come out and speak out about this because she says it's a lie. And she's speaking from her experience. And one of the things that you, I mean, it's, it, look, this is like so critically important. Yes, it is important for parents to show up for community members to show up and speak out against what the board is doing, right? But it is absolutely essential that teachers come forward and speak and students come forward and speak. Now, one of the things I want to apologize to you, uh, I got a couple notes about this in here. Uh, Robin Reed is this amazing Penridge student um, who's been really active. She's incredibly well-spoken. Um, the I had a, a video of her public comment section, um, but the one that I put up was the uh, like uh, basically a corrupted file. 
I, I started recording it, it wasn't recording right, so I re-recorded and I accidentally uploaded the wrong one. So I will reload that um, soon because what she says is important. But as we see in kind of the school board battles, right, as we saw in the movements against banning books, right, we saw, you know, the, the famous story out in New York, right, where kind of York students rose up kind of against the banning of books and they won. They made, you know, national headlines and stuff like this. It's when students organize and when the teachers organize, right, the work and those who study it, right? Teachers and students this is always the recipe when students and teachers join together to speak out, right? And organize, we win, right? If we let fear rule the day, we lose, right? And I know that there are teachers that are afraid of losing their job. Like I, we deal with this when we, well, the first strike that we ever went on out, in, out at Kutztown as part of the state system of higher education, we dealt with that fear. We went, we worked extensively with this. We went through trainings. We kind of talked through the fears. We talked about what that meant. We, we educated our members. We talked about what strikes look like. We talked about what the real consequences could be like forthrightly and kind of like, you know, everybody knew what was happening. And this is my like strong encouragement to the folks who represent, who work in the area from PSEA, the teachers union. The teachers union needs to get on board here, right? Publicly, right? Needs to help train teachers how to fight back needs to help push this agenda because your teachers are taking it. Their jobs are being eroded. And you know who's paying the price? Your teachers, your members, and my kids, the kids in this district. The whole purpose of a teacher's union, like my dad, look, I mean, I'm, I go way back to this. My dad, my, my mom and my dad, and my stepfather and my stepmom, right? They're all teachers in the Utica School District. Right. When my when my dad and my mom first moved to Utica, Utica, New York, right, those teachers didn't have a union and they were part of union you know, organizing drive. They won. They won their union. And it made a substantial difference in their lives and the lives of their fellow teachers and the lives of the kids at those schools, right? And the lives of the kids of the parents. <laughs> right. That is so absolutely important to do. And look, my message is for teachers. Like I understand uh, pushing back against your own union is, is, is tough. I mean, I've done it in ours uh, with other like-minded of, of, of teachers. And I'll tell you, if you're interested in kind of who to get connected up about how to start in caucuses in your union, right? Where you get to organize together about having to assert collective power inside your union to make it more democratic and responsive to what the teachers need. Uh, you let me know. Oh, Joanna, get out of here. Your father-in-law's from Utica. <laughs> oh, God. Well, uh, if he's, I don't know if he's been up there lately, but uh, holy moly, it's become a Trump town up there, let me tell you. Um, but it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah, I was, just, I was just up there not too long ago. My, my folks are still up there. Um, but great. So, okay, so that's the first part. So she calls him out. And this is so important to say that from the mouth of the teacher, not talking about what teachers think, but the teachers themselves saying, you lied to us. Right? Plain language. Right? So maybe you misunderstood. No, no. That was a lie. Okay, so here she goes. First, they demanded to change our ninth grade curriculum, which at least eight current teachers have been spending hours upon hours rewriting to try and meet the board's impractical expectations. Additionally, our elementary school social studies teachers have been working tirelessly, and again, for many, many hours to craft an appropriate and rich curriculum for our youngest students. All of these efforts could possibly be for nothing. 
With the approval of this contract to bring in the Vermilion Education Group, this board is completely going against everything they said in our previous meetings. They said it wouldn't cost anything to rewrite the curriculum. Well, the posted contract up for approval indicates that this consultant would cost the district, as stated many times, $125 an hour plus travel expenses and stipends. That's a little more than no cost to the district. I'll say. To the community members and taxpayers, and I know you do, I, I hope you hear this, um, especially with the number of hours that this task is going to take to review K-12 curriculum. This board said that the new policy wouldn't make any significant changes to the curriculum. Well, this consultant is reviewing the entire K-12 curriculum, not just a few courses at the high school. Why would the board spend this much money to bring in a consultant to review without the intent to revise? Clearly, this school board has absolutely no trust and respect for us as professionals. This is obvious in their decision to bring in a company who's only been around for a few months instead of valuing the experience and professionalism of our staff. As a department, we feel that this proposal is yet another rush decision that did not include all stakeholders. When making specific content-based curriculum decisions, it is only appropriate to include the people who will be teaching it. Thank you. There you go. I mean, you know, how do you say it better than that? Right? They're right across the board, right? That's exactly what you want to hear, right? Um, and, you know, bravo, um, bravo. Right. I'm already going long, so I'm not going to um, I'm not going to go through too much more sound here. So let's talk about what here. So let's talk about the contract. First of all, I just want to be clear. So this right here is a copy of the contract that was just passed right from here. We've got let's see one, two, two pages and like a little addendum were for signatures. Right. Right. And the reason why the reason why you heard that Christian Batiki said, well, who's the who's the uh, client here? Because you notice. I don't know if you can see that for those of you watching on YouTube, it says the client is Dave Reese, the chair doesn't say Penridge school board doesn't say uh, Penridge school district Says Dave Reese school board president. Right. But yeah, oh, oh no, 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 it's the school district. Cause you know what? He doesn't want to be on the hook for that. <laughs> you imagine? Oh my God. Now what's fascinating about this contract, right? Is almost everything just talks about compensation, it says the consultant shall perform. This is what it talks about what the consultant shall do. Consulting service related to assisting district staff in the review and development of curricula and B, writing reports to the school board and public on curriculum development progress. Right? Then it talks about compensation, $125 per hour, plus expenses related to the travel of the consultant to district facilities for in-person meetings with district staff or attendance to the school board meetings to request of the district. Consultant's billing shall be submitted to the client within 10 days. Right? It talks about compensation. Right. And then the remainder of this is almost exclusively about determining like who is going to be liable for certain things or who's not going to be liable for certain things. Right. It does say this agreement shall ensure to inure to the benefit of and shall bring binding upon the client, the consultant, like things like this. Right. Just very generally stuff about, yes, you got to abide by FERPA laws, which are, you know, privacy laws and things like this. So I decided because recently, what also put uh, Vermilion Education into the news lately was because they were trying to do the exact same thing at the Sarasota School District, right? And here's that contract, right? 
This is the contract from the Sarasota one. And guess what? It is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then a little bit of like so for the eighth page. Right? Oh, wait a minute. Why the difference? Well, on this contract, well, first of all, this was a contract for $28,000, I believe, right? Uh, what was the total compensation package for this one? Let's see. I believe it was $28,000, right? So they had, and this is exactly what, uh, yep, $28,000. So this is exactly what Joan Collin was raising an issue about, right? This contract from Florida, right? We all like to make fun of Florida, but guess what? They got the contract right at least, Right was for twenty eight thousand dollars after the like that, that's that's a limited budget. So you're voting on twenty eight thousand dollars. You know it's going to be spent. Now in Sarasota, I don't want to be a spoiler here, but in Sarasota, what happens is Sarasota they defeat it. Right, people showed up at their meetings and they and they were able to put so much pressure on the board. The board voted it down. Right, and that's the board with Ziegler, right, the Moms for Liberty woman. She's running that show, right? And they defeated her. Now, look, Sarasota is not Penridge, right? Sarasota is not Percocet, PA, right? Sarasota's got a lot bigger population, much more diverse population, a much wide-ranging sets of political views that are, like than we've got here, right, in, in Percocet in Percocy and the surrounding areas, right, in the Penridge School District. But having said that, right, you have this. Look at this. Look at this. This is an itemized list of everything that they're going to do, right? So you know, right? So the consultant will review the, all the following materials as shared by the district as part of this here. Well, here it is. Textbook list and invoices for the past five years. Library book list, invoice the past five years. Sample lesson plans, sample assignments and activities, sample assessments, sample online learning programs, modules, and videos, sample district recommended supplemental resources, a list of past professional development firms and invoices, professional development materials, professional development online training modules, and everything else associated with it. Guidance, counseling policies, practices, and materials, collective bargaining agreement. The collective bargaining agreement. Strategic plan, district student policies and practices, district discipline policies and practices, procure, pro, procurement policies and processes, student surveys or check-ins, parents access and transparency policies, all itemized on that. Not even close in the case of Penridge. It's just some general kind of thing here. Now, if you ask me, the generality of their contract in Penridge plus the fact that they just shoved it into the agenda 24 hours ahead of time is probably what got it passed because nobody had time to ask any kind of specifics of what they were actually looking for. Now, for Vermilion Education, right? For Vermilion Education, this is a gold mine, right? Penridge has just basically said, guess what? Guess what, Jordan? <laughs> Guess what, Jordan Adams? Right? 125 bucks an hour and go, go for it. Right? And Joan Cullen rightfully raised at that board meeting. Like, there's no end in sight here. You have no idea how much people are going to have to pay. You can't do this. But whatever. So here we go.
So why do I why do I bring that up now in Sarasota? Right, this is kind of what uh, it was. You know, thank goodness in some ways that uh, Sarasota, um, those folks. Uh, you know, I mean, if you have not watched the uh, the comment, the public comment section from the the Sarasota public meeting um, or, or the school board meeting where they voted down um, hiring Vermillion, you really got to watch that public comment stuff. And you can find it, it's all over Twitter. It's all over online and stuff like that. Although Twitter is like, you know, a hellscape these days. Um, but it's all over the place, right? Um, do check that out. The folks, you know, bravo to those folks in Sarasota who just, who put up such a great fight um, and started and did some of the initial spade work um, that uh, kind of allows us to really see what's happening here and who this Vermillion education is, right? So a little bit about Jordan Adams before we kind of um, just take a look at a little Vermillion. Now, Jordan Adams, right, this is the kind of the, the key um, part of this. Jordan Adams, as I read in the intro today, right, um, he was a student at Hillsdale College, right? He worked at Hillsdale College as a curriculum specialist, right, as kind of a consultant there, right? It's kind of like his in-house training, right? Um, and then he, he basically uh, was contracted to work for the state of Florida, Right, as somebody who was doing exactly the kind of thing that um, he was, that the Sarasota was trying to get him to um, review, basically to comb through their curriculum looking for wokeness, right? So, uh, what was he called? He was, a, yeah. and he was also, um, and this is, this is, I want to talk about this for a second. The associate director for instructional resources, the Barney Charter School Initiative at Hillsdale College, right? Now, the Barney. Charter Initiative seeks to establish a national network of charter schools using Hillsdale's K through 12 curriculum. Right now, here's the key thing. Right, um, the, the Barney uh, Charter Initiative isn't the purple dinosaur. <laughs> okay, um, this is kind of really important. Right, um, the purple dinosaur is not the Barney that we're talking about here. The Barney are the benefactors of this initiative who are very much interested in pushing private, publicly funded private charter schools. This is the same kind of agenda that we saw during the Trump administration, right? Um, um, Betsy DeVos, right? This is what she was pushing for, right? Betsy DeVos has been quoted as saying, you know, look, I have no problem with publicly funded schools, right? The thing is, is that she wants control over what's publicly funded. She is arguing that we should continue to publicly fund schools. In other words, we should take tax dollar money, but we should be able to channel that tax dollar money into private religious schools through the charter system, right? So therefore parents have a choice, right? So this is what Hillsdale College is up to. They look at this and they see not just a way of carrying out their ideological agenda, but of course this means dollar signs, right? And if you want an example of what that, Barner, that Barney Charter School Initiative would look like, Right, you look at what just happened in Tennessee, which we've talked about in this program. Right, the state of Tennessee, right, agreed to basically take all of its charters and say, "Hey, Hillsdale, we want to we want to kind of take your whole sloth statewide charter system. You're going to kind of like run it. So they're going to turn it into modeled after the Hillsdale College. There's still an ongoing fight about this, but that's what they're trying to do. When they say, you know, when I first saw like the Barner Charter School Initiative, I thought it was like this, oh, there's a little kind of Barney Charter School down the street or like in the area that they want to try these. No, 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 it's not that. It is a nationwide, they want a nationwide network of charter schools, right? Now, if you remember the other thing that has continued to come back, we've had Allison, we have Alyssa, I'm sorry, we had Alyssa Bowen on the show before from True North Research talking about the dark money that's involved in this. 
Um, we've had several other people on the show that have been talking about the agenda of this kind of move on the part of <coughs> the right wing, right? The end game is always, right, taking public funds and using them for private religious schools to break public education as a whole, right, and turn it into this little system, right? So we'll, another time we'll try to get into charter schools where we kind of go into like what that looks like. But that's what the game is in here. So anyways, you have, Jake, you have Jordan Adams comes out of Hillsdale, becomes their kind of curriculum specialist, goes on to kind of uh, run this charter school initiative, consults with uh, Florida, right, and try to kind of like strip out the wokeness out of the curriculum, right, and was going to be the consultant, was to be hired by the Sarasota School District, right, to do essentially what... Penridge just hired him to do. Okay. And you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I okay, I just just for a little bit of fun here. I, I, I was like Vermilion, why the heck is he kind of talking about Vermilion? Right? So I just wanted to see like the history of Vermilion. I mean, Vermilion's like that, you know, I had this loose association Vermilion's like the color, right? This red thing, right? So I said, Well, why? Why choose the name Vermilion? Right? It's very interesting to me. Right. You know, so I just I looked it up. Right. So what's some of the symbolic history of this kind of term? So, well, it looks like in antiquity, the first documented use of vermilion pigment was ground with cinnabar dates to 8000 to 7000 B.C. and was found at the Neolithic village of Kataloniuk. I can't pronounce it, which is modern day Turkey. So I said, oh, good. Like he wants a history. Right. So love history. Go back to its Turkish roots. Right. Is that what he wants? Or maybe it's cinnabar was mined in Spain beginning in 5,300 BC. Oh, good. Another historical reference. In China, the first documented use of cinnabar as a pigment was by the Yangshao culture in 5,000 to 4,000 BC, where it was used to paint ceramics to cover walls and floors of rooms. Said, oh, maybe that's where they got Vermilion from. I mean, that's a good idea, historically grounded in kind of multi multicultural, diverse, non-Western traditions. All right, cool. Maybe that's it. Well, maybe he's got something closer to the Americas in mind. So with the Vermilions, oh, no, no. Vermilion in the Americas was used by native peoples of America to paint ceramics, figurines, and murals, and for the decoration of burials. It was used by the Shavin civilization, 400, to 200, 400 BC to 200 AD, and in the Maya, uh, Sikan, Moche, and Inca empires. All right? There you go. There was mines in the Andes in Peru. So was that it? Trying to kind of appropriate native culture? Was that what he wanted to do? Or you know, give homage to some of the true roots of the first peoples of America? Is that what it is? Somehow, I don't think that's it either. Well, maybe it's something that's a little bit later on. Maybe let's go to the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Right? It seemed they loved to kind of like keep people in the dark so much. Well, let's go back to then. Right? Vermilion was also used by painters in the Renaissance as a very vivid and bright red. Although I like this, but they found it was a problem. Why did they find it? Now we're getting close to the truth. Right? It was very vivid and bright red, though it did have the weakness of sometimes turning dark with time. <laughs> right? And, but by the 20th century, the cost and toxicity of vermilion led to its gradually being replaced by synthetic pigments. Oh, yeah? Well, here's maybe my favorite one, and which is the one that I think that they really chose their name for. Vermilion is a dense, opaque pigment with a clear, brilliant hue. The pigment was originally made by grinding the powder of cinnabar, mercury sulfide. Like most mercury compounds, it is toxic. And I think that is what we have to remember. This is a toxic company coming in here to inject its toxicity into our communities. And as Ross pointed out, there is going to be a school board meeting next Monday at 6.30 and Wednesday at 7. 
right? Um, Ross, you can correct me if I'm wrong. They flipped the um, the meeting so that the curricular meeting is going to be on Monday and the full score meeting, school board meeting will be on Wednesday. That is Monday at 6.30 and Wednesday at 7. Right? <clears throat> so this is where Vermilion comes from, right? Vermilion comes out of Hillsdale College and they want to promote this kind of Hillsdale 1776 curriculum. Right, so I spent a little time today just going through the 1776 curriculum because Ricky Chaikin and others on the school board are like, yeah, you should read it. It's great. Teaches people to love America. Right. And I think this is going to be important to getting our, our head around, especially as we're making arguments right, and pushing back against these people. Right. And having to articulate a positive response to this. And by positive, I don't mean like loving, lovey dovey kind of stuff. But instead of saying, well, what is it that we're arguing for in our curriculum? Right. Ross says that's correct. What I said is that the curriculum meeting is on Monday at 630. The regular school board meeting is on Wednesday at seven next week. So what they want to do is not simply erase things like slavery. They don't want to erase the genocide of the native peoples. They don't want to kind of erase like like this, this kind of conflict entirely. <clears throat> right. The, the, the brilliant move, if you can call it that, of what this curriculum seeks to do it seeks to, again, that image that I started with where Trump basically puts the stake in and then you want to buttress the starting point for American history, right? So not only does it say the proper place to start the story, the national story of America is with the signing of 17, the Declaration of Independence in 1776 on July 4th going forward by those founders, right? And their aspirations as written down from their perspective, but they want this curriculum to encourage students to see through the eyes only of the European settlers and a particular version of those European settlers too, right? This is the key move of this curriculum, what, what Penridge is now arguing for do. What they do not want is they do not want the perspectives from other groups of people for example, slaves, for example, indigenous peoples, for example, fill in the blank, anyone who is a non-white European <coughs> at that time, male, right? And the perspective of their stories, right? It's, so, it's almost like a history through biography of these people as they self-represent themselves in history. That's what we're being asked to do. So let me just give you an example. So I just, again, I... I try to pick out two examples of here from the 1776 curriculum to give you a sense of what's going on here, but it is available for free. I can send you the link if you want. It's available for free on the Hillsdale's uh, website. Um, um, th there's a bunch of other places you can get it. Uh, I'd be happy to kind of share that link. I might even be able to grab it um, before the end of it and put it in chat. Uh, I'll certainly put it in the show notes afterwards. So, um, so for example, why we teach the British colonies of North America. This is from kind of uh, the preview of a unit, the British colonies of North America. So it says, Christopher Columbus's discovery of what was then termed the New World is one of the most consequential events of all recorded history. This sentence really, I almost threw up on it. So here it comes. It was as if another half of the earth was being opened up to the peoples of Europe, Africa, and Asia. And the changes that followed this momentous discovery were immense. <coughs> right, as if, right, Europeans... Like Asians and Africans all at once were like, oh, look, there's this great new place we could go to. No recognition of what the hell that, that meant. Right? 
as Africa, like they were just kind of like, oh, they were like colonists too. And they were, no, they were freaking slaves, chattel slaves. We talk about the long history of the abuse of Asian Americans, right? The expropriation of their labor, the putting them in internment camps. <coughs> there is no railroad in this country without Chinese immigrants. And then the Chinese Exclusion Act to prevent them to kind of access to anything that's even close to appropriating, uh, approaching citizenship or an equal life. The ghettoization of Asian Americans in the Pacific Northwest and beyond. So they had, so you're telling me that the story, if we told the stories through the lens of the Chinese immigrants who came here to work to build the railroads and stuff, they would say, oh my God, it was like the whole half of the world opened up before our eyes. It was incredible. That's how they start this unit, right? This is what the language was that we saw, kind of what I talked about earlier, about what are the agendas, what does, what Hillsdale wants to do and what Vermilion Education is trying to promote is this idea of a particular right, embedding the language of the right wing, um, say Christian nationalists into logic. So here it is. Men and women pursuing economic independence or religious freedom, leaving behind their familiar lives to seek liberty and opportunity at, uh, at what to them was the edge of the world. With a promise of freedom that these far reaches also came with untold hardships and daily dangers, the American story begins with those few who brave the risk for the freedom to pursue what all human beings desire, happiness. <clears throat> right? They're telling us what happiness is through the eyes of these people. Right? And they're giving us a kind of a contemporary discourse, a contemporary set of terminology to help understand what the motivations were of those European immigrants. Right? What teachers should consider for this lesson? This is how they want you to imagine. Like, this is what I mean when you start saying they want to put students starting from kindergarten to only see through, only see through, only see history through white European lens and through specific white Europeans, particularly the order of the white European man. Okay. Here we go. What teachers should consider? This is the first paragraph under this, after this lesson. Imagine two more continents, an eighth and a ninth, with different terrain, untouched resources, seemingly limitless lands, and complete openness to any sort of political regime. This is the vision teachers might consider adopting in preparing students to learn American history. In other words, one can adopt an outlook similar to that of the people who began the first chapter in the story of America. Such an outlook will help students see the origins of America as something that was fluid and not at all inevitable. They encourage to start with geography. And then maybe once you kind of talk about the amazing geography, <coughs> you can begin kind of populating it with, oh yeah, this is where these native tribes were. This is where these native tribes are. But first, you have to imagine the limitless landscape, right? There were no kind of organizational principles that were here. There was no governance structure here before. There were just a bunch of savages, right? <laughs> That's what they want you to believe. They want you to contain engaging stories of intrepid discoverers and the, and the conditions that they found and helped shape. Again, always from that perspective. 
it's pretty it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. What did I do with that other one? And the second part of the Hillsdale collect um the one right here, we get to even see this even further. So check out this language, right? Um, this is, again, are the British colonies of North America. Most of the original colonies were established as private property ventures, often sanctioned by the crowd, but a reality for the possession of private individuals through joint stock companies. These were then populated not with government officials and hired agents, but with men of all ranks who are also seeking their own opportunity, freedom, and plot of land. Not only did the English approach colonization trend towards greater independence from the monarchy, it also attracted and encouraged individuals and families who were independent-minded and determined. They were the rugged individualism, practice of personal independence, work ethic, and ingenuity to succeed would become well-known. The type of self-reliance necessary for such lives and the ways in which Christian religious beliefs contributed to how communities function. Consider how strongly matters of faith define colonial culture, largely because so many came to America to escape religious persecution or limits limitations of the old world. It talks about how religion helps set up governance and everything like this. Establishing Christian nationalist foundations for understanding how we read American history. They want to emphasize with stu emphasize to students the degree of self-governance that the colonists exercise, not any central government. You want to, here it is, outline for students the near universal ownership of firearms among the colonists for self-defense, for hiding, and when necessary, for common defense, right? They're setting up, placing in Second Amendment <coughs> righteousness um, within this text, right? That does not mean that there were not firearms, how people had firearms. But that's not why it's here. That's not why they're asking you to emphasize that. Right? It was also true that almost there was almost a universal ownership of iron kettles. Right? People cooked over. Right? There was also universal over ownership of chickens. Right? There was also universal ownership of burlap clothing. <laughs> right? Do we really need to go on? The emphasis there, they're choosing to emphasize this because they are trying to reinforce this Second Amendment kind of ideology, religious cult, uh, like worship, that is killing the very students that they're going to be instructing. Here you go. Last one. The colonists could be caught. Okay, free, no, I'll start back. So share with students the complex pattern of relationships between the colonists and Native Americans. I'm sorry, I should be laughing. This is so awful. The relationships ran the gamut from friendly to violent, varying widely depending on the tribe involved, with misunderstandings and clashes of cultures and languages. Disagreements abounded over the concept of communal versus private property. Violent clashes occurred along the edges of the colonial frontier and cross-frontier retaliations by both sides. Both siderisms were, un were, were, un were not uncommon. This one kills me. Colonists could be taught in conflicts between various Native American tribes, and likewise, Native Americans were often caught in conflicts between European powers. Systematic displacement of Native Americans was usually limited to the localities during this time. Displacement over time was primarily due to devastation from disease and gradual individual settlement westward. Right? Oh, just like disease happened... Uh, they just decided, you know, the tribes were like, hey, you know what? Westward, my young man, let's go. So they decided to move west. <coughs> that is an erasure of what happened. 
I mean, you've heard me talk about in this show that book, Freedom's Dominion, right? Where the kind of the focus is in in Alabama, right? And just what actually happened in Alabama in terms of the violent displacement of the Creek of, of, of the Creek tribe. And that is one locality, right? The only thing that protected the Creek tribe for as long as it did was armed federal officers coming in to basically defend the treaty that they signed with the Creek tribe. When the federal officers left <coughs> or stood by the side as they watched the locals kind of start killing everyone. And then when the Creeks decided like, hey, wait a minute, you're not taking our land. No, you promised. And they're like, no, so they retaliate. And then there's a big, you know, whatever. Just kind of migration. They just decided to go west. They just didn't want to be around the white people. They just decided to go someplace else. <coughs> they're to go see their friends on the west coast. It's ridiculous. And disease as if just disease. Oh, it's just like, it was just, just like COVID. No, we know this from history. We know that even smallpox, smallpox laden blankets were used as weapons against indigenous peoples to clear them from the land. We know that there were both mercenaries and federal officers like charged with going out and moving whole tribes, driving them off the land for westward expansion. What, they, what these things want to do, they basically want to turn happenings that, that, that are distasteful into just kind of like weather. Like it just happens. <clears throat> right? It's just like you can't change. It's just like, you know, flows, ups and flows, and it's like the tides, you know, and that kind of. No. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the wholesale reinstating of like a pre, I don't even know, pre-1950s curriculum, pre-1900s curriculum. This is a way, like, you know, as somebody who studies this stuff, as somebody who kind of follows these things very closely, saying this is precisely the way you start transforming an entire society and encouraging it to tread the road of fascism. This is how you embed white supremacy into a curriculum in such it becomes natural for kids to adopt this because that's what they're taught. I, I am, I am literally beside myself with what is happening in the school district. I had never, look, I've been involved with kind of political activism. I've been involved with kind of like, you know, politics and political theory and social movements like since I was in high school. And I never had the kind of glorious version of American history. And, but you know, okay, wait, let me, let me back up a little bit. It's not that I never had that. I started learning and noticing contradictions in the stories that I was being told. Right. And unlike what we're seeing in kind of like the curriculum head that has been gradually changing over the years, 
there was a couple sent there's a couple instances in which I had teachers that helped me discover a more complex readings of teachers. I can remember them right now. Mr. Custodero, Mr. Lee. I can keep on naming. Ms. Leone gave me my first dictionary for college. Right? Even when I didn't agree with them, all those social studies, Mr. George, Mr. George, the old curmudgeon of my school, Mr. George, even Mr. George wanted me to think critically, even though I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I suspect he was pretty conservative. It didn't matter. Because what they thought history was, is history was something <coughs> that you needed to understand the complexity of it. You know why? They're all trained historians, and they're all trained to look for all the facts, not just the facts that fit the story. The reason why the 1619 Project was so important is because it put together in one place a starting point where we can kind of like expand our discussion of history. Right. And just like there was that, you know, there was the uh, that example that I gave right kind of right at the, at the top of the show. Right. Where. <clears throat> uh, ba, 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 what was his name? What was his name again? I'm just drawing a blank. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Sean Willens. Right. Sean Willens. Right. Um, what he said that basically of this curriculum. Right. It has no place in any school setting that values education or over indoctrination. Right. He was also critical of aspects of the 1619 project. Right. And that's the way history works. Right. But there was difference about difference between being critical of the 1619 project and basically say this stuff, this stuff doesn't belong in any public school curriculum. This is indoctrination. Right. Willen says it has no place in any school system that values education over indoctrination, period. So look, nobody says it's like the 1619 Project is like the, the only other story that shall be told now. No, the whole point is to expand the ways that we see history. These, these people, they love, they love, they love, they love to go after anybody who's telling another story. They want to go after the, like, for example, these people go after, the, we used to tell the, the version of history from working people, right? About, about the fact that, like, this country has the most violent labor history in all of kind of like the Western tradition. That you had hired guards, the Pinkertons, you had federal forces that literally attacked, shot, killed, bombed workers who wanted a say in their conditions of employment. And when people started telling their stories and said, maybe we should listen to them too, guess what? These people, because these people are always here. These people said, no, we don't want to hear the voice of workers. We only want to hear the voices of the capitalists. We only want to, we want to provide excuses for the rich people, right? And basically ignore the workers, right? Or through the lens that we see here, we only want to view workers through the eyes of the capitalists. 
just like they only want to view slaves through the eyes of the European colonists who own the slaves. It's not that they want our race workers. It's just they only want to see them from the perspective of the capitalists. Not that they want to erase the slaves, but they only want you to see them from the perspective of the slave-owning owning, owning colonists. It's not that they want to erase the history of women and the struggle that they fought, but they want to see it only through the lens of American men, of immigrant colonial men. <clears throat> and so, you know, this... I've had these moments, right? Pure, and high school was one of them. That's the, why I got off on that tangent. The high school was one of them. When I started seeing this alternative history and stuff like this, and cause look, I bought in, right? I mean, I was like, yes, like America. I mean, not, I'm not like America we see today, but I was like, yes, I, I bought that story that we can, we can, but I bought it from the lens of like looking through the civil rights movement, looking through the women's rights movement, that look, people can organize to change things for the better, that's like the heart of democracy, right? That when something's wrong, we could organize together to change it for the better. We could solve problems together. We didn't need a king. We didn't need a president. We do it together. Through the force of social movements of democracy. That, that's what I saw as the engine of history. I, I, I don't even know if my social studies teachers wanted me to see it that way, but that's what I'm learning and I'm reading about this stuff. That's what I saw. I heard the stories, you know, like my, you know, my parents as teachers, living on poverty wages, then getting a union, organizing collectively over the union, and suddenly having a living wage and a pension and medical insurance. That's that's progress from the people. The school district didn't want them to have that, no, but they thought they deserved it, so they organized and they changed it. That's what I saw. And you know, every I don't know, it's almost like every several years, right? I have a new layer of any kind of like rosy, like viewing history through rose colored glasses. Right. And it's not that I don't, and the thing is, here's the, here's the kicker, right? We talk about the American story. I just told you part of my American story, people organizing together to change things. Right. And I saw the horrors of slavery, right? What I saw that as, as a fundamentally wrong, that is fundamentally wrong. It's unjust, it's cruel, it's violent, right? It's brutal. It's horrific. What changed it? People organizing <laughs> to change it. And yes, in the end, it took a civil war, but they did it. Like that's that story. That hasn't gone away from me. The, the thing is, is that what we have here is not kind of like, <clears throat> we have two different versions of what it means to be an American. This is what I mean by we need an affirmative argument, affirmative curriculum. This is why we need the voices of indigenous people writing our, his, writing our history. Not the only voice. I'm not saying you limit everybody else. No, but women's history. We need perspective African-American history, right? We need Asian history, Chinese history. We need, I mean, I mean Japanese, Japanese history, come on. Japanese-American history, that's the story told. The interesting part about education is when you have all these different angles, all that were true, all that were happening, and you attempt to make sense out of that. That's the critical aspect of education. 
in my view, my ignorant, perhaps overly optimistic young self, that's what I thought America was. And what these people are trying to do is to erase, this is why it's true, they're trying to erase everybody. Everybody but this very narrow view of white Christian nationalism. Look, and if you doubt my words, ask yourself the question. Why is it that under the banner of parental rights, they feel it's okay to take their specific personal versions of parenting and impose it on all of us through the levers of democracy? Whose parents' rights? It's the same exact dynamic. You have a small group of people that want to impose a particular vision on everyone else and give them no choice, all the while claiming to be the victims. That's the brilliance of the right. Anyways, I've gone way, way too long tonight, everybody. And, uh, you know, I appreciate so many sticking with us tonight. And uh, I I'm, I'm really want to I, I hear so much more from what's going on out there. Um, I'm very, very happy that my semester is over in a couple of weeks because um, I, I, I just, like I've always said, I wish I could do this full time, not just this, but also be working here. So, I mean, I, I mean, I feel like it's, you know, <laughs> how many times we get to say all hands on deck, but here we go. Um, but I look forward to joining those folks who have been kind of like, you know, on the front lines all the way. Um, at all these board meetings, at these, uh, you know, pushing, pushing for what's right, standing up for the kind of, the, the you know, uh, I, let me say one more thing. I, I also grew up Catholic, right? And like the story I just told you about America, I was kind of, I bought in to as well. You know, I, I bought in to the idea that we are our brother's keeper. You know, put the little sick after brothers, right? But that which I do to the least among us, so I do unto me, right? That whole idea that in our daily actions and how we're interacting with each other that, you know, again, when back in the day when I was all bought into the Christian ideology or the Catholic ideology, basically looking at saying that our actions are being viewed from this kind of moral lens, right? That it's not just how I treat the people that are just like me. It's how I treat those folks who are most in need. It's how I treat those folks who are on the margins. It's how I treat those folks that are downtrodden or need a hand up. Right? When I was growing up reading these stories of Jesus, I, those are the stories I paid attention to, right? The ones that you know, he's talking to Mary Magdalene, right? Mary Magdalene is, you know, like dismissed as a, you know, like a whore and, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. And there he is, her be his best friend, Mary Magdalene, right? He chastises those that basically turn away the person at the door who don't share their food with others, right? That's what I took away. And so that's what I bring to the table. <clears throat> We're here for each other. And we've got to stop this. <clears throat> we've got to stop this 
narrow Christian nationalist fraction of a minority from dictating the terms of our lives. Yeah, so listen, everybody, I really appreciate you sticking around. I really appreciate all the discussion in chat tonight. I'm sorry I didn't respond to more of what was happening in chat, but I was just was on a tear. Um, and yes, as you might expect, I only got through about a third of things that I actually <laughs> set out, but that's kind of how this always goes. Um, but listen, uh, thank you all. Thank you for all your continued support. And listen, I encourage you to please, if you can help out this show, if you can go over to our YouTube channel, if you're not there already, make sure you, you like this stream, make sure you subscribe to our channel. Even if you're not going to be listening to this all the time, you subscribe to the show. It helps other people find the show. It's kind of how that little algorithm garbage works. But nonetheless, that's how it works. Share it with other people. Let them know, um, just like you did tonight, uh, to come out to the show tonight. And if you can, if you have the means, you know, consider help supporting the show. Heading on over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. Um, love it. <laughs> Yes, Joanna, thank you so much. I hear you. I hear you. Everybody, thank you for turning out tonight. We're going to see you next week here with Mark Engler. Until then, see ya!